0: Well, uh, we've been going through this December, starting last week, this December, we've been looking at the character of the characters of the Christmas story, kind of not just looking at the people, but looking at not kind of their, their history or what they maybe did, but more about who they are, their character, what were they like on the inside, what were those things inside of them that we look at and say, that's, that's something to really admire and even something to emulate, that, I, that, that character quality in that person from their story. And our hope is that as we look at these people and and see some of these wonderful godly characteristic traits, that it's going to inspire us. It's going to inspire us to desire those traits for ourselves. And, And I was thinking, what could be better at Christmas? We think about gifts and family and all this stuff. What could be better at Christmas than if we would grow in godliness? that each one of us would be a little bit more like Jesus because we surrendered to the Holy Spirit and we allowed the Spirit of the Lord to minister in our lives and and, and to breathe in us by His Spirit, um, His life, which would then produce godly character. And as we'd look at these things, we'd say, God, I want that in me. And then as we allow the Spirit to work through us, those things would be developed. So last week as we started that process, we looked at Mary. We couldn't have started anywhere else, right? You have to start with Mary. Because uh, we have to keep Jesus for Christmas Eve. And so you have to start with Mary. And and I talked about her maybe a way that was a little unusual for for some of us to think about. Just ordinary Mary. This ordinary girl who was greatly used of God for one simple reason. Because she was just willing to follow God's plan. That if you looked at Mary, it wasn't that she had all these wonderful gifts and abilities. She just said, God, whatever you want to do in me, do it. And she has, her response to the angel was, be it done to me according to your word. And she just partnered with God, and she became part of something great because she was willing to obediently follow God's plan for her life, that she did something, she traded her plan in for God's plan. And that's, that's one of the real key things we talked about, is that in order to follow God's plan, you do have to trade in your plan. but that God's plan is infinitely greater than any plan that you could ever contrive for yourself. Um, and, and we looked at that and so said, that's really good news for all of us. Um, the fact that we could trade our plan in for God's plan, just ordinary people could be used to do extraordinary things because most of us, if we're honest, we're just pretty ordinary. It's okay to just be ordinary. I'm I'm ordinary. And, then, and that's all right because God loves taking ordinary people and we can follow him in whatever he asks us to do and he can do wonderful things through each and every one of us. So that's good news, right? So we started there last week. Well, today we need to move on to the next character, in the Christmas story, and if we talked about Mary first, who would we really have to talk about second? Joseph. So today we're going to look at, going at Joseph, but I'm going to ask you if I can do something this morning. Can I mess with your minds? Did you all have your coffee today? Yeah, had your coffee, had your whatever else you need, because I want to mess with your mind a little bit this morning, in a good way, but mess with your mind, and I was a little dangerous doing this early in the morning. Um, you got to think here, and i then go. Oh my goodness! Did he just really say what I think he said? But when we think of the Christmas story, we think of you know Mary and Joseph as the kind of the center stars of the story, and we think of them you know going to Bethlehem and and riding on a donkey and the manger scene. We think of this beautiful young couple. You know this this to me they're kind of this twenty something couple living on love. Kind of remind, I think of, you know, me and, oh, Suzanne said Sam and Josh. Okay, Sam and Josh. There we go. Mary and Joseph. It's Sam and Josh. Twenty-somethings, living on love. Any adventure is within scope. God would ask you to do anything, and you say, let's just do it. Let's follow God's plan. You know, and, and angels have talked to you and you're like, you know, we're young and we're adventurous and we don't have any ties and so we're footloose and fancy free. We can just go and follow the plan of God. When I think of Mary and Joseph, that's what I think of. And I, and we imagine it, it kind of looks like the picture that we have a, we have a picture. This is what we think of Mary and Joseph. Matter of fact, do what I did. Just go on Google images and Google Mary and Joseph. And you're going to find all these images that, that look kind of like this. or are 20-somethings. I should have superimposed your faces on that picture. Um, you know, Mary and Joseph riding on a donkey. There's, you know, they're all by themselves. There's pregnant Mary, you know, cute, sitting on the sitting on the donkey and, and going, heading to Bethlehem to have a baby and to be part of the great plan of God. Well, let me ask you a question. What if this picture's a little bit off? Writings from history as far back as the fourth century. So remember when we do time, you know the, the people who say they don't even believe in the reality of Christ, well, they should stop looking at a calendar because it's you know it's 2014, the year of our Lord. We, we, the calendar is based upon the life of Christ. And so the fourth century would be four hundred years within the first four hundred years of Jesus' living and, and death and, and resurrection. so that's early on. You know, 1600 years ago, as early as writings from as early back as the 4th century, and then throughout church history, um, it kind of paints a little different picture than this wonderful little couple living on love, riding on a donkey. According to a writing that's entitled Joseph the Carpenter, and it's a history from the 4th century talking about the best that these people understood, and, it's, and it was even a writing that was was quoted other later by other church Fathers that were respected, and I'm not saying it's 100% accurate or it's accurate at all, but according to history and these ancient writings, it tells us that the picture didn't look quite like that. That in fact, Joseph was a lot older than Mary, quite a bit older. Um, Some, some, according to as much as maybe 70 years older, very much older, and that he was a widower with six children. And that Joseph was this older guy. He was a widower with six children. And according to the natural, normal customs of that time, Mary, who was probably 12 or 13, was betrothed to him by her father um, in a very normal, customary way. That maybe Joseph the carpenter, you know, built a kitchen table for the family. And in payment, he betrothed his daughter to Joseph. Um, and maybe it was a family connection or to perpetuate a family line or something, but it's just possible, according to history, that it looks like maybe she was this younger girl brought to be his wife because his wife had died and she was there to take care of the kids and, and, and tend the household. That that was the original intent, that that's what Joseph thought he was getting into. He had a passel of kids, his wife died. The custom of the day is, I need a new wife. He knew the, the Mary family and said, hey, I need your daughter. And they said, "Great." And they've worked out the transaction, and she becomes his bride, And so the picture would look a, a little bit like that. Now, doesn't that mess up your nativity scene on your mantle at home? <laughs> I was thinking about that. You got the sheep and the goats and you know and the camels and Mary and Joseph and a little manger baby Jesus. You might have to add six or seven other little Rugrats. Running around there, tipping over things and pulling the tail of the donkey or, or whatever else, you know that kind of messes it up. And it, it might explain something. It might explain why there was no room in the inn. I was thinking, I thought if that's true, I always thought, what a rotten innkeeper! You got a pregnant lady, just a lady and her and her husband, and you can't find space in the hallway to let her have a baby. Well, maybe that wasn't just the mama and daddy. There might have been six other children running around, and there really was no room for them in the inn. Now, I'm not sure which picture is right. I'm not sure. I like that picture better, okay? It just seems nice, and it's cute, and it's romantic, you know, but I'm not sure which picture is the most accurate, and, and no one is except for God um, at, this, at this stage of the game. But if you look at the writings of church history, um, the odds are, because we don't have a, Story that shows that ancient church history shows a story of a of a of an older guy with six kids whose wife died, working on an arrangement to get to get this young girl to, in order to come and to be his new bride and take care of things and and uh, that would be completely acceptable in that culture. As a matter of fact, many cultures in the world today live exactly the same way. Many Eastern cultures would be exactly like that today. It would be they would think nothing of it. But I'm not sure which picture is the most accurate. Um, But if this one is, if the other one is more accurate, it even is going to go further to reinforce the character quality that I see in Joseph. Now, no matter what the character quality I want to point out, we see very clear in, in Joseph's life. But if he is this older guy who very clearly he's got responsibility, he's got a job, he owns a company as a, as a carpenter, and he's raising all these kids, and, and he enters into agreement just saying, hey, I just got to keep my head above water, and all of a sudden everything gets turned upside down. I think it even is going to go to, to, to reveal a character quality in a greater extent than if it's, if it's a picture that we've all become accustomed to. Because the character quality that I want to talk about in Joseph's life today is the quality of selflessness. And so we talked about Mary being ordinary Mary. What I want to think about today is selfless Joseph. That he was selfless. That he thought about others as more important than himself. That he didn't always put himself first. That in other words, the opposite of selfishness. That he said, what's good for everybody else? Selflessness. And I want to show you that. Let's read about that. In Joseph's life, grab your Bible. Last week we looked at Luke in order to talk about Mary, but Matthew focuses more on Joseph. So turn to the book of Matthew. We're actually going to read three different sections from the book of Matthew, all right about the same area in chapters 1 and 2. But it's going to, I'm going to do a cross-section in order to kind of reveal this character quality of Joseph. You know Matthew chapter 2 yet? Yep, all right. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now slide over to chapter 2, down to verse 13. Let's see what it has to say here about Joseph. It says, Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, let's slide over to verse 19 of chapter 2. It says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph, in Egypt, and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelius was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee, and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. We'll stop right there. Now, as we look at that text, whether Joseph was young or old, what we see about him is that he possesses this quality of selflessness. And this is what I mean by that. He was willing to be part of a plan that cost him greatly, but it didn't seem to benefit him much at all cost him everything, but benefited him very little. It didn't, he didn't get what he bargained for. Um, in fact, he becomes, in this story, a forgotten player. That the, we only hear about Joseph one time after this initial little time, these couple of years of running around. We only hear of him one other time, and that's when Jesus was 12 years old, and Jesus disappears from their caravan, and they go back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus in the temple. Remember that story? I was thinking about it. You know what? That story might be easier to handle and understand if they had a whole bunch of other kids running around. He's just one of the missing tribe. Um, But that's the only other time we even hear about Joseph. That Joseph plays no further role than in this this introductory time in Jesus' life. And most people believe, historians believe, that he didn't play another role because um, shortly after that Jesus was 12, sometime between when he was 12 and he was 30, that he must have died and he left Mary as a widow and that's why when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he's being crucified, he looked at John and he said, John, now this, my mother Mary needs to become your son. Should behold your son, behold your daughter. Remember that story from the cross? So they believed that by that time, Joseph had already passed away. You see, G- Joseph was willing to give of himself to be greatly inconvenienced and to be endangered. He was fleeing for his life all these times with no tangible personal benefit. We can't see what he got out of it. You know, isn't that exactly what we see in Matthew's writing about him? Look at, he was betrothed to a woman. He's got a plan. Maybe he's got all these kids and needs help, or maybe he's this young guy, whatever. But I got a plan, this is what I want. He's betrothed to this woman, and he finds out she's pregnant. And he finds it out from a good source that, that it's really of the Lord. Um, It comes from an angel of the Lord, but he's betrothed to this woman and finds out she's pregnant, and he marries her anyway. He didn't have to do it. He said, okay, I'll I'll, I'll agree to to enter into the story that's not at all what I thought. It doesn't seem to benefit me here that that I'm going to marry this girl, and and she's got a baby coming from somebody else. He agrees in that same situation then to have no physical contact with her until the baby is born. Well, that's self-denial. I don't know too many men who marry a woman, And for nine months, say, you know, I'm not even going to touch her. Then he lives, for the next couple of years, he lives a life on the run. Kind of a term we call living on the lamb. He lives a life on the run for the next couple of years. He starts off in Bethlehem. And then he he has to flee to Egypt in order to preserve the child's life. And then once he's in Egypt, he comes back and he finds that life is still a challenge possibly. So he heads over to Nazareth. He does all that. Not because it was a great way to build his business. He did all that simply to protect Jesus. You know, and that would be a hard life for anyone to live. But it would even be a harder life if he was that older character and he had a father of, at this point, seven kids that he's dragging around. You know, and maybe, think of that. And maybe the most selfless act of all was that he agreed to raise as his own someone else's son. This really hit me when I read this story. I guess I hadn't given a lot of credibility or thought to this quality before that, you know, when Mary was going through all of this, running from here to there, and angels talking to her and they're fleeing because, you know, political leaders are gonna try to kill their son. When she was doing all this, she was doing it for her own son. She was doing it for her for her flesh and blood. Now I, I know what it's like to have a to have a wife who has children. And Mama will do anything for her children. You know? Um, And so Mary does anything for her children. You know, it's her own flesh and blood. She carried Jesus in her womb. She gave birth to Jesus. There's this incredible bond between her and Jesus. But Joseph is a foster father. Think of that. Joseph is a foster father. He agrees to raise another one's child. And in this case, he knows it's God's son, but it still isn't his son he didn't have that flesh and blood connection and just maybe there were a bunch of other kids in the picture that he said but i'm responsible for them and now you're expecting me to raise somebody else's kids you know yet what he did he went through all that he did for jesus for another's child you know he must have as a carpenter he must have worked really hard in all those places that he resettled in and imagine that he he works he he comes to town they don't know who he is he's now he's in Bethlehem, then he's in you know, Egypt, then he's in Nazareth. And he comes and he says, hey, I'm a carpenter, i got to make money to, to provide food for my family. And so he says, hey, I fix whatever, I build stuff. And he, he builds up a, starts building up a business so he can pay the bills. you know. And, and he gets a home set up for his wife and his kids, whether it's seven kids or one kid, he gets it all set up for them, and then all of a sudden he's sleeping and an angel comes to him again. Sometimes even at night, appears in a dream and says, get up. And fleeing over here, it doesn't say he complained. It said he just got him up and he went off to the next place. And when I look at all of that, to me, one word describes it: selfless. He was the opposite of selfish. We never see him saying, "What's in it for me?" Because there wasn't anything. You know, we see that that he sees, and this is like, I think that I, how selfish, how selflessness works. He sees the big picture, and he understands that it's his job to just be one key part in a very big God plan. He says, it's not about me being celebrated. It's not about me, sing, people singing songs about me and remembering me and, and telling what a great guy I am. I'm, I'm comfortable understanding that I am one part, a key part, but one part in a very big plan that's so much bigger than me, and I'm just going to be happy and fulfilled living out that one part. That's selflessness. And friends, that's a a great quality that we see in him. It's a great quality to emulate. Matter of fact, this story could not happen if Joseph was a selfish person. Because he could have said at any point, first day, angel says, you know what? The girl has betrothed you, whether it's going to be because you're young and in love, or you're older, and she's going to help raise your kids, she's pregnant. He could have said, count me out. I, I'm too busy. i got too much stuff going on. You know, my business, my kids, whatever else. But selflessness says I'll enter the story and I'll do the role that God wants me to do. You know, when I was looking at this and thinking about, about Joseph. You know who he reminds me a lot of? He reminds me a lot of his, I don't know if it's a made-up term or not, his cousin-in-law. Can you have a cousin-in-law? His cousin-in-law was John the Baptist. It's Mary's cousin, and he married Mary, so I don't know such a thing as a cousin-in-law, but I couldn't think of any other way to define it. But he reminds me a lot, as I'm reading through this and thinking of this aspect of, of Joseph, I'm thinking the whole time I'm thinking about his cousin-in-law, John the Baptist. You know, John has the same quality as Joseph does. He was able to see the big picture, God's big plan, and know that to just be part of that plan is what matters the most. To say it's not about me, it's about God. And God has hand-selected me and he put me in his plan. He gave me a strategic part to play like he's given all of us strategic parts to play and that that it's good and best and right to fulfill that thing with all I've got. Give it all in order to fulfill that plan. That there was no need for him to be a superstar. Both of these men, they said, I don't have to be the one celebrated. I just want to be part of seeing God's plan come for fruition. Grab your Bibles and flip over to the book of John, Gospel of John. And I want to I want to show you something that that John the Baptist has to say about this. Because I think it gives us some real insight. John chapter three. You there? Good. Starting in verse twenty-two in John chapter three. It says After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there was, they were, and he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Annan near Salam, because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. you see the selflessness there in John? That same quality that we saw in Joseph? Look what he did. He recognized God that, that God had given him particular ministry to do, and that ministry would prepare the way for Jesus But then Jesus would rise above and beyond him and he'd be kind of a forgotten figure like Joseph was. And he says in verse 30, up front, before that ever really happens, this is before he was thrown in prison, so before that ever really happens, he understood his part. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's selflessness. He understood, it's not about me. It's all about God. You know, he selflessly did what God wanted him to do and as and, and um and excuse me and as hard as it is to imagine, <clears throat> I've been fighting some kind of a sinus thing. <clears throat> as hard as it is to imagine, in our in our very selfish world where self promotion and self fulfillment are seen as the highest goals, and that's really the world we live in, where people aim at just being selfish and being. Being the star of the show, matter of fact, we're American Idol or wherever else, where we are, we aim at being this, seeing, being fulfilled and being told how wonderful we are. Instead, he follows God's plan. And it led him to something that none of us would believe God's plan could ever lead you to. It led him to an inferior position. And it led him to, um, eventually be imprisoned and be killed. Think of that. Do we grasp the reality? that that when you follow God's plan <clears throat> excuse me when you follow God's plan it could lead you to an inferior position that when you do what God asks you to do it just might lead you to a place where somebody else eclipses you and eventually in this guy's case you'd be imprisoned and put to death and he was doing it all following the plan of God sometimes we have a hard time imagining that You know, I hope we understand that walking in God's ways has a cost to it, at least a cost in relationship to this world. For John, um, he was passed by and he was imprisoned and he was killed. For Joseph, he raised somebody else's son um, and, you know, and then eventually fades away from the situation. For Mary, he watched. She watched her own son die. You know, it's the cost of selflessness, the cost of knowing that you and your wants and your needs are not the most important thing there is in the world, but rather you play a part in a much bigger plan, and that bigger plan, the intent of that bigger plan, is to bring salvation to lost mankind, and so you pay whatever price and you make whatever sacrifice God asks of you in order to be part of that plan. So there's a cost to selflessness, but there's also a great reward for selflessness. matter of fact, the reward is greater than the cost. Look at John, what he says in chapter 3, verse 29. He says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. John was saying that he was um, glad to just be the friend of the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. He's glad to just be the friend of the bridegroom. He was glad to just play one part in the plan and to then be passed by because he was part of bringing the bridegroom, Jesus, and the bride together. Who's the bride? The church. And so he says, I'm glad to just be part of this plan. He says, I don't have to be there. I don't have to be the bridegroom. I'm happy just to hear his voice and to bring the bridegroom, Jesus, and the church together. He says, I'm happy <clears throat> to just be part of the plan. He said that knowing that he had played a part in seeing the plan of God accomplished made him what? Did it make him discouraged because he was passed by? It said it made him joyful. Matter of fact, it said this way, it made his joy Complete. He says real joy, real joy, not temporary temporary happiness that comes from the world, from whatever activity we could fulfill our days with, that we could run to this activity or that activity, buy this gadget or do that thing. He says real joy, the kind of joy that penetrates into your soul and makes you content no matter what. Real joy comes from knowing that you are part of God's big plan. The plan that he has to bring salvation to mankind, bringing Jesus to the church, and making the church be the light of the world. The the plan that God has to bring salvation to mankind, that it's something eternal, and it's something bigger than you. You know, maybe your part in that big plan, maybe your part is to raise someone else's kid. To be somebody like a Joseph, where... You invest into somebody else and maybe many other somebody else's, but they're not really your responsibility. For you to be an influence in someone else's life that isn't your own family, you set your desires aside to care for and minister to those that, you know, you really have no natural obligation to do it. You could say in all right, I don't really care. Maybe as a foster parent or maybe as an adoptive parent or maybe as a teacher or someone who serves in kids' church or, or you know, our, our, whatever other kids' ministries or other ministries that affect other people that you really have no obligation to do. It's the people who go down the city on a hill and say, you know what, we're willing to serve at the health clinic and serve kids that we could stay at home and do whatever we want, but you know what, God's plan is to share his love and I want to give of myself to go do that. And here's what I know about doing that, like we know from them, it will cost you. But the joy you experience will be worth it, and you will be part of changing eternity in people's lives. But maybe your part is to be like John, is to be a forerunner. That you invest in the people that don't yet know Christ. Because that's what he was doing. Remember, he said, I'm not the Christ, but I'm the one leading people to Christ. Your job is to be the forerunner, to, to invest into people that don't know Christ, that you love them and you invest into them and and maybe, maybe you invite them into church. You're the people who bring a van load of people tonight to the kids' play because you know that your friends and neighbors and relatives don't yet know Jesus. You're a forerunner. You don't get any glory for being a forerunner. You just work hard and you bring people in to where they can maybe learn about Jesus and, and come to know him and their eternity has changed and... If you're the forerunner kind of person, you know what? It costs you for doing that. You've got to get up early. You've got to go pick people up. You've got to, however that looks, you've got to invest in them. You've got to bake apple pies and take them to their houses. And you've got to volunteer to rake their leaves next door or whatever else it is. It will cost you. But the joy you experience will be worth it. And you will be part of changing eternity in people's lives. But maybe you're a mother or a father. You're a person who loves other people, and you willingly are like a Mary, and you say, you know what? I'm willing to give my, my sons, my, my son, my daughter, my great possessions. You nurture and you invest in and you disciple your children or other people's children just so you can release them to leave you and take God's message of love to faraway places. That ought to be natural in our church world to say, I want to be like Mary and invest in people. Will then go. You know what? That costs you. Matter of fact, it'll break your heart. But the joy you will experience will be worth it. And you will be part of changing eternity. And that's why it's worth it. Church, we all have a part to play in God's plan. And all of us, when we play the part, it costs us something. But what we see here, it costs us something. But what we get is more eternal and it's infinitely greater and it's tied to getting real joy. God made every one of us different by design and he calls us to different places in his plan but there's not one, of, one person who's ever come to know Jesus who hasn't been called to become part of the plan of God to change the world. John had his role, Joseph had his role, role you have your role but each of us has a part to play and real joy in life is found only in living out that part only in living out that thing Joseph could have said no and you'd never heard about him today somebody else would have given him a wife he would have been part of that world he still would have died and he wouldn't have been part of changing the world but when we say God yes I want to be part of your plan he plugs us in to his eternal destiny his eternal plan for changing the world and he says you know what my plan wouldn't be complete without you Each and every one of us have been created uniquely to fulfill the roles that God has given us so that the world can be changed if we'll just allow God to to help us fit into his big plan. And my challenge for you this Christmas season is you say, God, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be this person who who is, is selfless, who really is just like Jesus. You say, God, show me where I fit. Put selfishness aside. And give yourself to something greater than yourself because that's where real joy is found. You know, if there's something we can learn from Joseph and John this Christmas, it's that joy comes through selflessness. So let's be like Joseph this Christmas and give ourselves a way to learn to be selfless so that God can use us in his plan and the world can change. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Would you join me in prayer? It's not natural for us to put ourselves in any role other than a role that just makes life easy and good for us. It's natural for us, Lord, to think about ourselves above everything else because we're just people, we're humans. It goes all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve had to make a choice between self, doing it their way or doing it your way, and God, it's never changed from human history. But we know this, that you call us, God, to follow you. You call us, Lord, to a, to a life of being part of something greater, a life of, of figuring out those, that divine giftedness that you've breathed within us so that we could do something in this world that no one else could ever do as part of your big plan. Lord, the world so often makes people feel small but you make us feel important because we understand that you've crafted us and created us to be people that can be used to to fulfill your purposes so that the world can literally be changed for eternity. And Lord, this is my prayer for every person in this place today. I ask Jesus that you would help us to find where we fit. God, that you would stir up gifts within us and that God you give us passions if you want to speak to us in dreams the way you did to, to Joseph that'd be fine but God help us find our place to fit help us to be servants who give of themselves so that Lord you can work through us that we can know we're part of the big picture and that Lord then in that we find the greatest joy we could ever experience. So Lord, this Christmas season I ask for a gift for every person in this place. The gift, Lord, of knowing where we fit. The gift of being willing to to put aside our own plans and to say, I want to be part of something so much more significant than my little world. So much more significant than just working a job and taking care of business and doing the daily things of life I want to be part of your supernatural plan of changing eternity and maybe that's by investing into somebody that you're going to lead in the kingdom Lord maybe it's by serving in a certain capacity whatever that may be God right now all we want to do is say God we're open and if you want to change our, our path we want to walk in your ways so Lord This Christmas, give us the gift of helping us find where we fit in your big plan so that, Jesus, our joy may be complete in you, may be full in you. Because, Lord, there's no greater gift I could think that could ever come to any person than that this Christmas season.